It's nearly 12 o'clock, and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. We are your public radio station broadcasting on 100.1 FM here in beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where it is overcast and breezy. Out at the airport, they are showing 41 degrees, 65% humidity, 10 miles of visibility, and westerly winds steady at 24, gusting to 33. Coming up on the Midday Report, voting has begun for midterm elections. Early voting started on Monday. Former Kenai Peninsula Borough Mayor Charlie Pierce will remain in the race for governor, but his running mate has dropped out after Pierce was, form- was sued by a former assistant for sexual harassment. And Southeast Alaska's summer season for Dungeness crab was worth millions less than last year. Those stories plus rescued snow machiners in the eastern Alaska range. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Biden's directing his administration to deliver more financial relief to millions of Americans. Today, he announced a crackdown on so-called junk fees. Biden describes these as unfair, often hidden charges customers can encounter when they buy concert tickets, check out of a hotel room, or do business with a bank. Imagine this. Your child outgrows his bicycle, and you decide to sell it online. And someone pays you a check, pays you 30 bucks for the bicycle or something. Days later, that check that you got paid with, that you deposited in your bank, it bounces. You didn't know it was bad, but you get charged 15 bucks. You get charged 15 bucks. It's wrong. It's ridiculous. It's unfair. With high inflation looming over midterm elections, Biden recently launched a student loan forgiveness program. By the end of last week, 22 million Americans had applied. But six Republican-led states are suing, arguing that Biden overstepped his authority. A jury took just a few hours to decide to convict the man who drove his SUV through a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin last year, killing six people and injuring dozens more. Chuck Kernbach of member station WUWM reports that prosecutors say they're pleased with the result. Darrell Brooks has been found guilty of six counts of intentional homicide, six counts of hit and run involving death, and more than 60 charges of recklessly endangering safety. Waukesha County District Attorney Sue Opper says she's satisfied the defendant has been held accountable for his actions. He now faces imprisonment of six consecutive life sentences plus 859 years of confinement. Opper says she realizes Brooks has a right to appeal. Brooks had pled not guilty and represented himself in court. The trial judge says she'll hold a hearing Monday to discuss a date for sentencing. For NPR News, I'm Chuck Quirmbach in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Russian officials say as many as 70,000 people have left their homes in Ukraine's Kherson province. NPR's Frank Ordonez reports fighting's intensifying 
as Ukraine's military seeks to take back the important city. Residents were urged to evacuate the right bank of Kherson as Ukrainian forces continue to advance on the region in southern Ukraine. Ina Lukyanova runs a center here in Zaporizhia where displaced people are gathering before traveling to other parts of the country. She's saying people are really desperate, that they're willing to wait days, even weeks, in line trying to get out of the occupied territory and back into safer parts of Ukraine. Russian and Ukrainian troops are anticipating a major battle over the city that is seen as key to control of the south. But Ukrainian officials say the Russians are bringing in more troops in hopes of holding their position. Frank Ordonia is reporting. It's NPR. Ang NPR Balita ay hatid sa inyo ng Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. Para sa kaukulang impormasyon tungkol sa aming mga serbisyo, tumawag lamang sa 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Voting for this year's midterm elections started on Monday at city halls, community centers, churches, and election offices all over Alaska. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth has more. Voters will rank their favorite candidates for governor, U.S. House and Senate, and state House and Senate. They'll also vote on a once-a-decade question about whether to hold a constitutional convention, plus whether judges on state courts should continue to hold their jobs. Registered voters must bring some form of ID to the polls. That can be a driver's license, state ID card, passport, birth certificate, military ID, or a hunting or fishing license. Alternatively, voters can provide a utility bill, bank statement, paycheck, or a government document with their name and current address. Kodiak offers absentee in-person voting as an early voting option. Absentee in-person ballots are sent to the state's election board for review, and they're counted after the election. Registered voters can cast their ballot absentee at the Kodiak Island Borough's Assembly Chambers from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. through Monday, November 7th. Any Alaskan can also vote by mail. Voters can apply for a mail-in ballot online through this Saturday. Absentee ballots must be postmarked by November 8th. The last day to vote is Election Day, which is November 8th. Polls all over the state will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Employers are required by law to give employees time off to vote. Voting locations are listed online at elections.alaska.gov. There's also a link with this story at kmxt.org. You can also find election coverage, including candidate interviews during their Kodiak stops, by clicking Elections 2022 on our website. While you're there, you can also check out a tool to compare the candidates that was created by KTOO, Alaska Public Media, the Anchorage Daily News, and the Alaska Beacon. And there's also a link to the state's official election pamphlet with information about candidates and instructions on how to vote. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. The running mate of Republican candidate and former Kenai Peninsula Borough Mayor Charlie Pierce has dropped out of the race for Alaska governor four days after Pierce was sued by a former assistant for sexual harassment. Edie Grunwald's name will still appear on the ballot next to Pierce's since the deadline to drop out of the race has passed. Pierce said via text on Tuesday he is not dropping out of the race. But Grunwald says she decided on Tuesday she's no longer running beside him. My withdrawal is not a reflection of guilt or innocence. I, I really just have to um, just stand up for um, just for the, the general idea of um, respectful treatment of women in the workplace. Grunwald says she's encouraging people to vote for incumbent Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy. 
Her decision comes after Pierce's former executive assistant sued him for sexual harassment, and more than a month after the Kenai Peninsula Borough publicly confirmed for the first time there were credible workplace harassment claims made against Pierce. In the lawsuit, the assistant, Pamela Wastel, alleges the harassment from Pierce was constant over a year and a half she worked in his office. Wastel also sued the Kenai Peninsula Borough since she said there were not sufficient reporting procedures in place for her and other employees to make harassment claims. Attorneys for Pierce and the borough have both declined to comment on the case. Pierce picked Grunewald, a retired Air Force colonel, to be his running mate in March. Grunewald says she's not calling for Pierce to drop out and still believes he's done a lot to protect Alaskans' freedoms. You know, that's a decision that he'll have to make. But um, for me, um, you know, given the the content of um, the report, um, let the courts work that out. And um, it's just a general statement for me that I support, you know, the respectful treatment of um, women. For his part, Governor Mike Dunleavy is standing behind his decision to support Republican Charlie Pierce in the governor's race. Dunleavy has encouraged voters to rank Pierce second in next month's election as recently as last week. In emails and text messages, Dunleavy spokesperson Andrew Jensen said the governor acknowledges the allegations against Pierce are serious, but is, quote, waiting for more facts to emerge, close quote. In a statement, the governor said, quote, it would be inappropriate and unfair to all parties involved to make any snap judgments or draw any conclusions from a complaint filed just days ago, close quote. Pierce did not respond to a voicemail left on his cell phone. The two other candidates in the race, Independent Bill Walker and Democrat Les Guerra, are calling on Pierce to drop out. Guerra says Dunleavy shouldn't need more proof to withdraw his support. You, you can't come any closer to knowing this is a legitimate sexual harassment claim than the city's own attorney saying that uh, that the claims are credible. So um, uh, I don't think the governor can hide behind uh, this argument that he doesn't know what happened. Walker says he's surprised Dunleavy hasn't distanced himself further from Pierce. When you're in a position of power, I think you need to make sure that that uh, you're taking the high road on these things and, and sending a message. I mean, we're our state with the the number one, I think we're number one in the nation of of uh, you know domestic violence, sexual assault. I think you need to lead by example. The candidate withdrawal deadline was almost two months ago. If Pierce drops out now, his name will still be on the November ballot. Southeast Alaska's summer season for Dungeness crab was worth about $10 million less than last year. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the shortfall was due to a combination of a much lower harvest and a smaller price per pound. State managers closed Southeast's Dungeness summer fishery two weeks early by emergency order because of low harvest numbers. It's been five years since the last time that's happened. This summer season harvest was just under 1.3 million pounds, nearly 2 million pounds less than last year. Along with the lower harvest was a corresponding drop in value. This year, the fishery was worth less than $4 million. Last year, it was over $13 million. Biologist Joe Stratman manages the fishery for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He says there are a number of factors that could lead to a fluctuating harvest. Fishermen this summer noted colder water temperatures at the start of the season and tides of over 20 feet. 
These details matter because managers set the season length according to the first week's harvest. Stratman says it could be those factors or just fewer legal-sized crab available. It's also very possible that it was just a smaller cohort of crab uh, recruiting into the fishery this year than we've seen in, in recent seasons. This year's price was $2.96 per pound. That's about average for a Dungeness crab over the last decade. But it's much lower than last year's four twenty-one a pound, the highest price ever paid. On top of that, there was a much higher harvest last year at just over 3 million pounds. Most southeast Dungeness fishermen also participate in the fall season, which opened October 1st and will run through November for most areas. Closing the summer season early usually means that the fall season will also be cut short. But there is an exception, and it happened this summer, and that's a lot of soft-shelled crab. As crab molt and replace their shells for larger ones, they contain less meat and bring less money. If there are a lot of soft-shelled crab in a shortened summer season, then the fall can go the full two-month length. This year, dockside sampling indicated 28% soft-shelled crab, which is enough to allow a full fall season. Managers try to plan crab fisheries around molting, but it's a tricky business with weather, temperatures, and tides. What did seem to be consistent this summer was the overall slow fishing. I would say probably from most of the people I heard from, they weren't seeing much of anything in the pots. And a lot of people thought, well, you know, we're starting on really big tides, we're starting on cold water, things are going to get better. But it sounded like in a lot of the region, things didn't get better. They stayed relatively the same. 189 permit holders fished southeast's summer indigenous fishery. The area that saw the most harvest was near Petersburg and Wrangell, followed by Stevens Passage near Juneau, then the Frederick Sound area. Stratman says some areas were notably low. Some fishermen, um, particularly in the northern part of the region, didn't see much of anything this season. The fall Dungeness crab fishery will run through November and most of southeast. A few areas stay open through February. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Alaska Air National Guard crews out of Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson rescued six snow machiners on Monday who were stranded on a glacier in the eastern Alaska range. KUAC's Tim Ellis has this report. Alaska State Troopers launched the rescue operation after they got a report at around 7.15 Monday night that a group of six snow machine riders was stranded in the mountains east of milepost 200 of the Richardson Highway. That's about 75 miles south of Delta Junction. According to a trooper report, the SOS message from the snow machiners said they were out of fuel and not dressed for the weather and that one of them was going into hypothermic shock. Troopers then contacted the Alaska Rescue Coordination Center at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson, which dispatched an HC-30 plane and HH-60 helicopter to rescue the group. The conditions up in that area were relatively clear, so good for flying, except there was no natural illumination. There was no moon. Alaska Air National Guard spokesperson Alan Brown said when they got to the remote area, the C-130 crew fired an illumination flare so they could get a better look around. He said they then spotted the snow machiners on the College Glacier about four miles east of the Richardson Highway. They were able to hoist the injured one up immediately, and then our pararescue men were able to guide the remaining five snow machiners to a safer spot on the glacier where the uh, HH-60 Pavehawk helicopter was able to land and pick them all up. 
The trooper report says the helicopter brought the five uninjured snow machiners to the turnout off the Richardson Highway at milepost 197. And Brown says the helicopter then took the injured member of the group to Providence Alaska Medical Center in Anchorage for treatment. Troopers were unable to provide the names of the rescued snow machiners by Monday evening. In Delta Junction, I'm Tim Ellis. The Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race is dropping its COVID-19 vaccination requirement for mushers, staff, and volunteers in the 2023 race. The announcement comes as mushers have been slow to sign up for the 51st running of the Iditarod, with only 26 listed as of Tuesday. But Iditarod spokeswoman Shannon Noonan says having fewer mushers signed up did not affect the decision to drop the vaccination requirement. You know, dropping this policy may change that, but that was not a a deciding factor of dropping the vaccination policy. Last year, the Iditarod said requiring proof of vaccination was necessary to protect everyone along the trail. That included residents of remote communities serving as checkpoints where medical care is limited and an influx of people during the race could lead to an outbreak. Noonan says what's different now is COVID's declining trajectory in Alaska. When state and federal guidelines aren't recommended, and state and federal guidelines aren't recommending vaccination requirements for big events like the Iditarod. We in no way are dropping the vaccine requirement, um, you know, saying that COVID is over uh, in any way. We are absolutely still have our villages and our our mushers and our volunteers as the number one concern, and that we're going to continue asking and, and looking for input from our villages as we move forward to the race. It's unclear if dropping the vaccination requirement will bring back mushers who cited the policy when they decided not to race the Iditarod in 2022. Five-time Iditarod finisher Monica Zappa of Kasilov has been skeptical of the vaccines and opposed the Iditarod's requirement. And while she said her decision not to race the past two years also involved the age of her dogs and the cost of maintaining a race kennel, Zappa said she's glad the race is dropping the requirement. I mean, I, I, I'm not like begrudging, um, you know, the race, but sometimes just in life in general, you kind of have to like let people be the controllers of themselves a little bit too. Noonan with the Iditarod says race officials are still discussing protocols for the 20, for the COVID-19 testing during the race. In 2021 and 22, a positive test meant mushers or staff had to leave the race. Meantime, Noonan says the Iditarod is hoping more mushers, some wrapping up their first busy tourism season since before the pandemic, will sign up for the 2023 race. If the start were today, the 26 teams currently listed would be by far the fewest in Iditarod history. Mushers can still sign up, but the entry fee increases at the end of November. The Iditarod is set to start March 4th, 2023. Today's KMXT Local News is brought to you in part by Discover Kodiak, a one-stop source for visitor information on Kodiak and other destinations around the state. On the web at kodiak.org and at the Visitor Center in the Ferry Terminal Building at 100 Marine Way, 486-4782. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. 
Author Robert Carlyle Taylor's award-winning debut novel, The First Robot President, combines science fiction with political satire, making fun of Democrats and Republicans in equal measure. The novel centers around Thomas Jenkins, a lobbyist, and his robot wife, whose political ambitions land her on the Green Party's 25-20 presidential ticket. Taking a subtle yet savage swipe at the current political climate, Taylor weaves in a political satire with much food for thought on environmental concerns, poverty, and war. We spoke with him about this intriguing and entertaining book. The, the key to being able to write a novel, the, this, this novel is almost uh, 500 pages long, uh, and it uh, took me a couple of years to write it. Um, you know, many writers will turn out... Uh, you know, two, three, four, five books a year. You know, people that are really good at this. They're, they're, those books probably aren't as long as mine, and they may not be. Uh, they may not put as much thought into it. But if if you've got the discipline, it's easier to to write a novel than you than you may think. But it does require the discipline of uh, focusing on the task and sitting down. You know, every day and writing for, you know, at least uh, three hours. That's award-winning author Robert Carlyle Taylor on his novel, The First Robot President, which is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. Are you planning to vote in the November 8th general election? If so, your voting location might have changed since you last voted. That's why it's important to make sure you have a voting plan before Election Day on November 8th. Can't make it? Request a by-mail ballot by October 29th or make a plan to vote early in person. Visit elections.alaska.gov to find your polling place and more. This message paid for by the Alaska State Division of Elections. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to Wednesday. It is the 26th day of October, the year 2022. The sun rose today at 9.09. It will set again at 6.36. That will give us 9 hours and 26 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 46 seconds compared to yesterday. Our record high for this date was 53 degrees, set in 1929 and 1978, and our record low was 14, set in 1985. Currently 41 degrees, overcast and breezy. Look for scattered snow showers before 1 p.m. this afternoon, and mostly cloudy skies with a high near 47, northwest winds to 20, gusting to 30. For tonight, partly cloudy skies, low of 36, northwest winds to 40, should come down to 35 in the evening, could gust as high as 65. And for tomorrow, increasing cloudiness, high of 41, west winds to 30, gusting to 45. Thursday night, northwest winds to 40, gusting to 55. Sunny skies on Friday. Looking at our local tides, we do have a high tide coming up at 2.55 this afternoon. That will be a 10.3-foot tide, followed by a low tide here on the east side, at 9.31 p.m., a minus 1.3-foot tide. 
over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 329 this afternoon. That would be a 16.4-foot tide in Larson Bay, followed by a low tide at 10.03 p.m. of minus 2.5 feet on our west side. Mariners, be aware, we have storm warnings for tonight for both sides of the island. From Marmot Island to Sitkanak, our east side, west winds to 45 knots today, except west 30 north of Dangerous Cape, seas to 18 feet. For tonight, northwest 50, seas to 21 feet. And for tomorrow, west 40, seas to 18 feet. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, storm warning for tonight as well. West 30 becoming northwest 40 late today. Gust to 55 knots out of bays and passes late this afternoon. Seas to 8 feet. For tonight, northwest 50. Seas to 11 feet. Winds gusting to 70 out of bays and passes tonight. And for tomorrow in the Shelikoff, northwest 35. Gusting to 50 out of bays and passes. Seas to 7 feet. High Mark Drive-In Movies starts tonight. That's starting with Ghostbusters at 6 p.m. out at the fairgrounds. It's being sponsored by Island Air, Bell's Flats Little Store, and Double Shovel Cidery. In addition to Ghostbusters, tonight, tomorrow night at 6 p.m., Tremors is going on. And Friday, a double feature at 6 p.m., The Nightmare Before Christmas, and at 8 p.m., The Exorcist. That's all happening out at the Kodiak Fairgrounds. Senior Citizens of Kodiak is having their regular board of directors meeting on Thursday. That's tomorrow at 1 p.m. in the center's multipurpose room. The meeting is open to the public. For more information, call the Senior Center at 907-486-6181. And the Kodiak City Council will be having a regular council meeting tomorrow. That begins at 7.30 p.m. and will be held in the Kodiak Public Library. The meeting is open to the public, and public members are also encouraged to tune in right here at KMXT on 100.1 FM. The meeting will also be web-streamed, and that link, as well as meeting packets, are available online at the City of Kodiak website. For more information, contact the clerk at 907-486-8636. The City's Ports and Harbor Advisory Board will be having a meeting on Friday. That's happening at 12 p.m. at Fisherman's Hall. The meeting is open to the public, and I understand they have sandwiches. Agendas and meeting packets are available online at the city website. The meeting will also be web-streamed from the City of Kodiak's website. And for more information, contact the Harbor Department at 907-486-8080. Community Data Review Meeting is happening. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game is conducting household harvest surveys in Kodiak from February to April in 2022. The project updated subsistence harvest information for the Kodiak Road System for the first time since 1993. This is an invitation to join researchers for a presentation on preliminary study results and for you to provide feedback on the draft findings. That's all happening Thursday, one week from tomorrow, November 3rd, at 6.30 p.m. at the Kodiak Refuge Visitor Center. Light refreshments will be served. For more information, call the ADFNG at 907 907- Two six seven two three six eight. Oh, and uh, Friday, the Kodiak Revitalization Special Committee is having a meeting. That's happening at 9.30 a.m. at the Kodiak Public Library. The meeting is open to the public. Agendas and meeting packets are available online at the City of Kodiak website, and the meeting will also be web-streamed from that same site. 
Contact the city clerk for more information at 907-486-8636. And don't forget, Friday, downtown businesses will host the annual downtown trick-or-treat. That's going from 3.30 to 5 p.m. in the afternoon. All of Kodiak's ghouls, goblins, and other trick-or-treaters are invited to wander through participating businesses looking for treats downtown. Stop by the Shunak Tribal Center for a trick-or-treat bag to start out the evening, and the KHS Key Club will be providing crossing guards. Download the map of participating businesses at kodiakchamber.org. But again, that's Friday, 3.30 to 5 p.m., the downtown trick-or-treat. Kodiak Island Borough meetings coming up include the Assembly's special meeting happening this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. That will be immediately followed by an Assembly work session and be held in the Assembly chambers. Next Tuesday, November 1st, the Women's Bay Service Area will be having their board meeting in the Women's Bay Fire Hall. That's happening at 5.30 p.m. And a week from this Thursday, November 3rd, the Assembly will be having a regular meeting in the Assembly chambers at 6.30 p.m. There is an invasive species workshop set for November 1st through 3rd, focusing on the invasive European green crab, which was found in southeast Alaska for the first time this summer. It's going to be the focus of the invasive species workshop going on November 1st through 3rd. The workshop is a forum for discussing invasive species management activities. It offers expert presentations about emerging invasive species science and management issues and highlights efforts to help people learn about and control invasive species. That's happening at the BP Energy Center in Anchorage from November 1st through 3rd, but the workshop will also be available via Zoom. For more information, call GINO at 907-786-6315. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 12.20 and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.